You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of Felony Inc. Podcast. Broadcasting live from NetSpace and remotely from my living room in scenic... <laughs> Portland, Oregon. Beautiful day today in Portland, Oregon. Um, in a society that houses the largest inmate population on earth, anything that can be done to curb the recidivism rate is incredibly valuable, and that's what we intend to accomplish here with Stone Inc. Podcast. I'm your host, DJ Dick Hennessy. Joining us today again is our other host, Meg Thibodeau, and we have a special Hi, guest. Hi, Dick. The... Hello. How you doing? All right. Glad to hear your voice. Home, from my home to your home. This is yep. an interesting new way to podcast, isn't it, though? <laughs> Podcasting in the time of coronavirus. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. And uh, speaking of coronavirus and broadcasting from homes, we're getting a special guest from her home in Canada, Ontario, Canada, Emily O'Brien, formerly uh, Cons and Colonels, now with ComebackSnacks.com. Emily, how are you doing today? I'm good, actually. I'm staying inside, but... You know, keeping healthy, so that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's all Emily, we can... it's good to have you. I know, this is great. I think it's almost been a year since I've been on. I looked, Maybe it's more. been, I think it was May of 2019 was your last podcast. What was it? Okay. Number 57 for those of you who would like to go back and revisit Emily's first <laughs> podcast with us. But awesome. Nick and I have yet to be able to interview you. We're fairly new hosts here, so we're looking forward to chatting today for sure. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it should be, uh, should be a really good, it's be a good interview. It's in the studio with us. We together, is it, Dick? We're going to talk over each other. It's fun. Yeah, <laughs> 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 we can't see each other. Oh, It'll take a little getting used to, for sure. But I think yeah, we'll get the hang we'll... of it. Well, I'm really excited to talk to Emily. She has got a women-owned business. I looked at your story and, and listened to your podcast. I um, really resonate. Your Our stories are not too dissimilar, um, Emily. And I, I love the fact that you're doing, you have a business that also hires ex-felons. You're, you're running your business as a social enterprise. And you're working with other business to modernize their HR policies to encourage them to do the same. Um, you're doing a lot of cool work this year, uh, and we'd love to hear about it. Um, first, can you just tell us what kind of impacts are on your business right now? So, I mean, we want to get it. We're so excited to get into all this, and yet here we are in a world that might look completely different in a couple mm -hmm. of months. So, you know, where are you right now in your business? Um, so we're, we're kind of lucky, I guess, because we are a food business and because we're not a, a restaurant, so we can still package and, and prep and sell our food, but all of our events obviously have been canceled, which are a huge revenue driver for us. So, um, I guess like one of the skills that you get when you go to prison is that you learn to adapt. And so we're kind of learning to adapt with this new situation and we're just changing how we serve our customers. So we're doing like free deliveries to some because our our store is located within another grocery store, which is permitted to stay open, and so 
um, people want to support the small business. And so we've kind of modernized it or like adjusted our delivery policy so that it's like a free delivery, but then also safer as well. So have you been able to keep all your employees? Um, yes. So far. Right. Yeah. Yep. You know, what's, uh, what's kind of cool about that is as messed up as it is, if you have a store that's located in a grocery store right now, you're pretty much set. Like you, you don't really have to worry about too much in terms of things getting shut down, at least in America right now. Yeah. Also, online sales. Are you able to sell your popcorn online so it can be delivered directly to people's homes? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of exactly what we're what we're doing. It's so um, interesting. You talked about prison skills. Actually, Dick and I were just texting about that yesterday, kind of laughing about how the you know being being on lockdown at home is you know something we're quite used to. We we're good at uh, finding entertainment in confinement and making the best out of a difficult situation and having certain certain uh, privileges taken away from us and still thriving. Are you finding that yourself? Yeah, I feel like I'm like a seasoned veteran at this now, at this point, <laughs> like being on house arrest, because I was on house arrest for two and a half years. And oh. you didn't welcome me at first. So like... <laughs> And I broke all the rules and I got caught. I got arrested, you know, by not following the rules. And, you know, after I kind of learned to adapt with what I had in my house and what I could do with my own mind, I was able to kind of transform my environment and learn a lot of new skills. So that piece of your last podcast where you talked about that really resonated with me as a nice you know, cute white lady who went to prison um, I really found it was hard for me. It's it's interesting the time we live in now where we're so much more aware of what white privilege looks like. I just wasn't as aware of it when I was in prison, though I was aware of the massive racial disparity in prison. But I really mm-hmm. resonated with you kind of being like, I'm not, I don't deserve this. I'm going to do what I want to do. I was very, um, very much in that line. It, it's one of the most profound parts of my story to be able to, the piece where I finally realized the deep connection, you know, that I'm not different or better than anyone else because of sort of the entitlement that I came to the party with. Was mm-hmm. there a moment for you? From, I mean, was that it, getting arrested again, um, that that made it different. I mean, I just know that feeling of like, and I saw it in women's prison too. I think women and men have kind of a different dynamic in their particular uh, lockups. And that's a whole conversation to talk about, but I'm curious for you, you know, where you're at now and if that's affected your ability to feel compassion and, and, you know, have, have uh, more awareness around that entitlement piece. I know I do. Um, Yeah. I think like, for sure, I, I realized how kind of privileged I was going in with, like, you know, having a family that would come visit me and also, you know, having a family that had the resources to bail me out when I got arrested. And someone that necessarily didn't have that but committed the same crime would have, you know, stayed in detention for, for months or years, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that was I, – I realized I was extremely lucky. And, and I was like, my situation is not even that bad compared to, like, a lot of other people's. And that's what kind of motivated me to to advocate. Um, I love that. Yeah, for sure. Cause I was like, this isn't – For sure. It's so skewed. It's so messed up. And, it, like, it, it punishes you more for things that you can't control, like, based on your where you were born or, like, what kind of money your family has or resources or support kind of stuff like that. So I was like, it was just – totally unfair. And the people that really needed the most help, 
you know, it's harder for them to get. It's really well, great I, to see you using that privilege and those resources to make, you know, to, to change the system and to give back. I really resonate with that. It's really, I feel like our responsibility to do everything we can to help a system that we've seen face, you know, firsthand is broken. Mm-hmm. And I like to call it like living back because you're not just giving someone something, you're helping them like live their life in a better way. So I like, like giving. Yeah. I like to say live back and you get to live with them through it. You get to like actually help them up and, sh- and like, I don't know, share things, which is great. I think. Yeah. I mean, I you're completely scary. agree with that. It sounds like a really uh, positive, positive thing. And I always say, you know, just from going through it, um, the system most certainly without a doubt is racist, like mm-hmm. you know, completely racist. Uh, but first and foremost is classist. And, um, and is I don't see an end of that inside. I'm assuming the uh, the justice system in Canada is pretty much virtually identical, but I might be wrong in that. Yeah, we also have like our man- with drug charges. There's mandatory minimums too. So with my sentence, like I had two kilograms on me, and it wouldn't matter. Basically, my my race or whatever. Like by law, the judge has to give me at least two years, and I got four. Yeah, we have that here too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is it is there the sort of racial tension and racial disparity in Canada and the prisons that we have here? To your knowledge, like is that is that something you guys are dealing with? I know your whole system yeah. is different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, there's like a, a massive like Aboriginal population in the prison. Like there's like thirty percent, and it's growing. Oh yeah. Um, but where I was like everyone kind of intermingled. Like it depends, like the people were more separated by like, whether you like were part of like the drug cult, drug subculture, but people weren't really like, I was pretty much friends with everyone, but that's just me. I was friendly as well, but there wasn't like, I would say race segregate, like not segregation, but like race, racial, racialized groups, like that hung out together. Like everyone kind of hung out with everyone at some point in time. That's kind of how ours was too. I, again, I don't, you know, I'm not sure this is a show to get into it, but I'm super fascinated by the difference between both the difference between the dynamics in men's and women's prison. I mean, there's so much interesting stuff around when you put one gender into to a space together. And then also I feel like there's some difference between, how, you know, the motivation for women uh, yeah. who commit crimes versus the motivation for men who quit crimes. Not one being better than the other, but there's such a, a pressure, I think, that is prevalent for men that identify can identify with sort of a, a power piece in being involved in certain things where it's very common for women to be in relationships with men who are involved in those things. And it, fe- yeah. it feels like more of um, a dysfunctional re- relational dynamic for women where it's uh, more of a dysfunctional, um, you know, uh, power or identity piece for men, which is super interesting. Yeah. And I think that plays a lot into like the amount of violence in the prison too. Like with women, like most women just want to get out and see their kids because 80% of women in prison are, are moms. Right. Well, so they're right, like, in relationships. Like a, yeah. They're like, I'm done with it here. <laughs> like they're like, I'm getting out, you know, <laughs> there wasn't really any um like gang violence like if there was violence it had to do with like gossip or debts pretty much uh, yeah or i was ours was relationships where, where the women were in 
so many in relationships with each other. Violence happened. It was because you messed with that woman's woman or whatever. It was this incredibly intense relationship dynamic. Like we were in a living soap opera, but it wasn't, it wasn't power stuff. It was relationship stuff, which was super, super curious. Um, Yeah. So you, uh, you do sell online. I'm curious. I love the idea that you, your popcorn flavors are inspired by prison recipes, which I also find to be a completely uh, phenomenal uh, social experiment. But what have you done? In your last one of you talked about actually going to some of those direct spice sources that you had in prison. I'm assuming you got um, on the down low, but Mm -hmm. are you still using those same sources have do you, like well, how do you source your stuff and make your popcorn taste the same way but still be healthy and appropriate for like you're not using top ramen seasoning is what I'm getting at yeah oh, honestly <laughs> it's the same uh we still like it's all small batch so we we buy the spices we grind them up and then we put them on the popcorn and then we well we also have like caramel varieties but that's kind of the, the the OG line is everything that we started with. So lemon pepper dill. We have like something that I call Gen Pop, which is like coconut oil and sea salt. And then um, yum, yeah. <laughs> we have a Sin City, which is cinnamon stevia and brown sugar. And oh yeah, Jailhouse Cheese. We have that's like Kraft Dinner powder and Kraft Dinner cheese powder on on the popcorn. It's kind of <laughs> oh my god, yeah. I was wondering what you used. That sounds amazing. <laughs> And the craft powder works wonders. Now, Emily, do you have a favorite, a uh, particular favorite brand of popcorn or flavor of popcorn that you have? Um, I like the Gen Pop because it's like co- the coconut oil is really flavorful on the popcorn. So. Coconut oil Emily? is the classic movie popcorn oil, if y'all don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's yeah, no butter. We have to put butter on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Coconut oil is the way to go. I hear you. Yeah. Now, it, when you got when you were in jail up there in Ontario, uh, did you have a lot of movie nights in there, or what was that like? Oh yeah, we had tons of movie nights and TV nights. So we were—I was in minimum security for most of my stay. I was in medium before I got classified as minimum. And so in medium and minimum, you're allowed to have a TV in your room. And then Ooh. so you yeah, so we have like you have to pay for monthly cable or whatever. Um, but then also like in each kind of unit, there's there's about eight women per unit and then there's a TV as well. So you can put movies in there. Damn, that's luck. <laughs> <laughs> it could be worse. I'm it's... not even allowed to go to Canada anymore. Yeah, I'm not allowed to go to the States. Not yet. Not oh, for a long man. time, probably. Another virtual high five. Yeah. We can go to Rome, oh, though. Man. I can meet you in Rome. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that we want to go to Rome right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Bless this planet's heart. My goodness. My goodness. Yeah, oh, sure. man. So, so Emily, here we are in this situation where you are no longer doing these events that bring in a great deal of revenue. You're, you clearly have a very entrepreneurial mind. When you did your podcast um, one year ago, you had only been out of prison for four months, and you were already turning a profit. You started yeah. this concept in prison and then you came out four months later, you're turning a profit. It is clear you are whip smart, that you have a very entrepreneurial spirit. What 
kind of, you know, do you want to share with us any kind of brainstorming that you've done, how you might pivot, how you might be getting creative about what the future holds for you as a, as a, a social enterprise? For sure. Um, so I'm going to start training like some of my staff who normally come to the events. I'm going to start training them on doing bookkeeping and some of the, the other tasks that are involved in, in managing the business. I'm going to teach them how to do photography to help them with like the marketing. And I'm going to teach them how to do digital marketing and content creation. So I'm basically going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. So is there a second business that you have in mind where you're actually creating courses or doing workshops or something where you're able to teach other people how to start their own business? Yeah, I'm actually working on that this year um, with an organization called Elizabeth Fry. It's teaching people um, that have come out of prison how to start their business with like less than 500 bucks, basically. That's amazing. I stand firm in the fact that many inmates are just entrepreneurs who got into an illegal business. Given Given the hope, given a few people who believe in them and support them, they absolutely are some of the hardest working, hardest hustling, most amazing, dedicated entrepreneurs I know I've ever met. So yeah, 100%. It's a definitely it's a well of talent. Not everybody, yeah. but there is a well of talent in there for sure. But you know who they are. They stand out mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> like they come, so, they come ask you like 20 times for a job when you're hired, you know what I mean? And then they come to work and they never miss a shift. They never call in sick. They like, it's, it's amazing. Like I've been in business for over a year and I've had one missed shift. One. And, I was, and wow. he called in and like told me like a day and a half before that he wasn't feeling well. So it wasn't like, Oh, I'm sick this morning. It was like, I don't know if I can come to work in a day and a half. <laughs> amazing. So, and just like the willingness to learn has been like tremendous. Cause obviously when you go to, when you come out of prison, it's, it's a different environment and like, things are people communicate in different ways. So maybe doing an event with the public is challenging for a lot of people. Right. So I think just like my staff are like, yeah, sure. I want to try that. Sure. I want to do it. Can I, can I just like come with you and, and do this? Right. So it's, it's awesome. I love it. And then they can share their story and you can tell how proud they are when they get to share their story and actually be heard. Do you find in your business that, um, that, the response to the story you share about being in prison and that you hire inmates, do you find that people feel nervous or afraid? Do you find that people find it incredibly inspiring and it helps your business? How do you find that people take the, the backstory of your popcorn? Um, really well, like overall the perception has been, has been great. Um, that was also because like I chose to share the story on my terms. Like I didn't want, it to be written about without me knowing, like that's why I didn't talk about before I went to prison. Cause then like this narrative would have been constructed and I wouldn't have had a chance to, to speak. So, but I knew that I needed to like bring some sort of social good out of the situation by telling the story. And so when I was able to work with like a reputable newspaper and a journalist that I knew personally that knew me from high school, we were able to tell the story in a way that people could understand like, okay, this decision, like this happened when she was young and like, you know, this, this is what happened to her in high school and not just like, Oh, she committed a crime and then she went to prison. So you have to kind of make it relatable to emotional decision-making, which we all do. And I think even now, like with everything that's happening, 
in the world, you see people that are committing crimes that, you know, would, were the same people that were like, I would never go to prison, you know, but when we're in these high emotional states, we do things that like to protect ourselves, to be safe. And sometimes that means committing crimes. So it's true. It's true. Emotional decision-making is, is real. And I just to call back to what we were talking about a little bit ago with that sort of immediate white entitlement. Like I remember going in and going, I am not like these people. You know, I wanted to be different. I knew I, I didn't grow up uh, in a family of crime or anything. I was really yeah. had a, a nice parents and a good family. And I was just super attracted to edginess and then super attracted to drugs and alcohol. I, yeah, it's romantic, right? <laughs> it's rom- It had a romance, exactly. Uh, it was really attractive. And, and going out there and then getting into situations where, yes, the decisions that you're making are somewhat based on your safety and survival. You know, you start to get a ball rolling. And it really seems to be what you're saying with that, this current situation and people out there committing crimes. There's something of a great equalization about it. I really, with this podcast and the work you do, all of us, I think, have a responsibility to um, illuminate the fact that just because people are in prison, it doesn't make them different. Criminals are not a different species of human, right? They're, in fact, many times folks that have been closer to the bone of humanity than plenty of other people who just haven't you know, push those edges or been pushed into those edges. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I totally agree. Emily, uh, just out of curiosity, obviously what you're doing is very selfless. Um, Did you have someone before you got out and you came up with this concept of doing the popcorn and uh, just empowering other people? Was there someone you looked up to or who mentored you through this process or was it all just solely on on your own? Um, I had a lot of support going into prison just from like my friends and my, obviously my family. But then when I was in prison, I began to kind of share my story with like the volunteers, um, even other staff members about what I wanted to do. So along the way I had all these people helping in, in little ways, which turned out to be a huge impact. Like I wouldn't say one person had more impact than the next because there were so many people that contributed value, like valuable things to the growth of my business, whether it was like buying the first bag of popcorn or like there's a company that gave us $500 worth in, in free labels. Right. Or it was, you know, my mom who got my first business cards made or people that helped us out with like bookkeeping and stuff. So I wouldn't say it was one person, but um, I think the way that I, that I shared my mission and my goal, like people really supported it because, they saw how difficult it was to reintegrate. Like it's called reintegration, but it's not, it's just like surveillance is what it is. Um, so I wanted to actually help people reintegrate instead of disintegrate. Cause that's often what happens on parole. Probation. Are you still on parole or probation? I think you yeah, I got like a, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, oh, my meetings are like five minutes now. Does it affect how you can hire other felons that you're still on probation? Yes. So I, but I spent a year in negotiations with them. So at first, like the parole board, like during my hearing, I was like, this is what I want to do. And they're like, okay, that sounds good. You can do that. And then when I came out, my parole officer was like, I don't want you doing that. And I was like, well, why would they let me out on parole if they didn't want me doing this? 
So I had to like negotiate with her what I could do. So finally, after about six to eight months, uh, she's like, okay, you can hire someone, but they have to be done their parole. Um, and you have to get them to fill out like a criminal record check for me. So I know who they are. Cause she has to, mo- she has to, you know, monitor me and who I'm hanging out with as part of my parole. There's so many roadblocks. I mean, it's, it's really speaks to your tenacity and bravery to be able to keep stepping. We get so lucky to talk to, talk to these entrepreneurs on here. So we're going to take, actually take a quick break right now just to uh, run an ad, pay some bills and we will be right back. Okay. CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Felony Egg Podcast today. Special guest, Emily O'Brien, uh, who, again, if you're just joining us, former convict, who uh, she runs a former convict female-led social enterprise that advocates for and hires former offenders and works with other businesses to modernize their HR policies to encourage them to do the same. Emily, you still with us? I am. I'm here. Excellent. <laughs> House arrest. <laughs> Um, global house arrest yeah (laughs) so Emily I just kind of wanted to transition a little bit and uh, I just had a couple questions uh, concerning kind of the difference between the Canadian women's prison versus the United States I I kind of feel that Meg might be uh, somewhat of the expert that I know of uh, America's women women prison system Um, I, I noticed in the last interview you said that in Canada, they have a, a garden in the prison. Is that correct? Yeah, they have a gardening program that runs through the summertime. Is that and like this a... this is only on medium, medium, and this is a federal prison, and it's in medium and minimum. But in the provincial prison, in the provincial jails, there's none of that. The pr- provincial jails are horrible. So in a way, I was like almost lucky to be sentenced to federal prison because there's, there's considerably a lot more, even though it's still a prison. More um, same for America. There. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, America, same goes for America. Federal prisons are definitely more resourced than state prisons. Mm-hmm. And they have the nickname "Club Fed" in America. Yeah, <laughs> they're not quite that, but you know, where I was yeah. in prison, actually, years before the drug war happened, and the prisons were far less populated, there was a pool, and they did get pizza delivery. But after the drug war, they got <laughs> so overpopulated that they cemented yeah. over the pool and, um, you know, things got very uh, far more prison-like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pool time was over. Yeah, we did have a garden, though. We did have a, hortic- did? a horticulture program. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So so both mm-hmm. both federal prisons in Canada and America had uh, basically, oh, well. essentially, gardening college. 
Yeah, it was like gardening college horticulture program. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, other than that, I mean, it's I'm not sure really how familiar you are with uh, everything in uh, in America in terms of women's prisons, but is there any other stark difference or contrast from Canadian women's prison versus American that you're aware of, Emily? Um, I think our parole system is a bit shorter than yours, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Like for me, I got out on day parole and I had to live in a halfway house after one-sixth of my sentence. And then I got full wow. parole after one third. Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually impressive. really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't what, actually federal system here doesn't have parole at all. You get out and then you are on a like post, they don't call it parole. You actually have, do your full sentence and then you get out and you're on five years of having to check in, but there's no okay. sort of paroling you out early. So, oh, okay. It was very long. Yes. And I think our mandatory minimums, like, I know this doesn't have anything to do with women, but I think our mandatory minimums are still a lot less than yours are. Interesting. For like, yeah. importing, yeah. Well, I, I've always been a big advocate in saying I feel like the American justice system is based on punishment. While if you look at, like, uh, prison systems and, uh, like, Germany, uh, you know, in Dutch countries, stuff like that, it's based on rehabilitation, education, um, actually wanting people to go back to be productive members of society. Do you feel that the Canadian justice system is more lean towards kind of the American ideology of the prison industrial uh, complex, or is it kind of a, a combination? Um, I think it's still based a lot around punishment, for sure. And because there's not really any rehabilitation, like there's you'll still send people to, to jail, but they won't send them to rehab, even though it was, it was an addiction-based, you know, crime. Yeah. And even in the community, there's no support for employers, like, or for, like, people in the halfway house. There's no employers actively going into prisons. Where you hear, and like, in the UK, you know, Richard Branson's company, Virgin Trains, goes directly into the prison to recruit and, and hire for their Virgin Trains business right so there's really none of that in in canadian prisons at all and just like the fact that you know you're basically making slaves out of people and paying them five dollars a day when a lot of the time money was a reason for the crime as well so now you're depriving people of more money which was the base for their crime anyway so you're if you're if they're in prison because they were poor well now they're even poorer coming like out and right. and if and they had actually to that a a yeah. charge would it yeah that you have to pay a bunch of money afterwards as well for restoration yeah reparation i mean that's in, it's interesting because you know i feel like uh it's exactly what it is like in america and in, in, in so many ways canada seems so progressive with the uh, universal health care and a lot of the policies it's weird to see them kind of when it comes to locking people up just to side more with the american side which is certainly uh a messed up system, you know, if I must say so myself. Um, yeah. You would think they would be just a tad bit more progressive, but um, do you think that they succumb just to the American influence, or is it just... Yeah, I think Harper definitely did succumb to that. Trudeau is, was supposed to make all these, like, ref, like, kind of reform the Criminal Justice Act, but we've yet to see any of those reforms, so <laughs> a lot of people are kind of disappointed, because they, they really thought, like, they're going to start to see some changes. Um, so just recently there's a bill put forth to 
get rid of mandatory minimums when it comes to sentencing people because the majority of like women in prison are there for drug crimes, right? So it's like you're taking people away from their family. Like, what is literally what's the point of that? Um, there's other ways. Well, it hurts the family. It hurts the children. When somebody goes to prison, their whole family basically goes with them. Their whole family gets stigmatized. The children get stigmatized. It's really uh, a system that actually has far-reaching limbs out into the community, and it's super destructive, and it's it's not rehab. It's not recreating wholeness in families and communities. It's creating separation. And here yeah. particularly, it's, you know, for punishment and, and really primarily for profit. So instead of yeah. trying to get people to be able to live back in the community, the system is actually creating a, uh, its own self-fulfilling profit machine. They actually are creating a system where recidivism is an outcome that benefits the prison. All right. Yeah. Hundred percent. Are you able to? You talked on your last podcast about uh, potentially at some point being able to go back into the prisons. Do you have to wait till you're off parole to do that? Have you been able yeah. to get back in? Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. But I'm already getting like re- requests to go in, and I think if you have someone that's kind of been through the exact same scenario, like that has had those rules, like you can have guest speakers all you want, but if it's like not someone that's really been in, the, it's very hard to relate to. I think especially when you're in prison. So that's kind of one of why I, why I want to do it. It's like be like, okay, step by step, this is what I did, and eventually start Are to you build able a network. Do, go ahead. So yeah, eventually start to build a network for people to come out when when they are done parole, right? Or mm-hmm. or maybe even start working with the system to make it a little bit more friendly for so people can actually talk to each other. Because when you go through a, a a traumatic situation together, like that makes you resilient. And now you're saying, oh, now you're on parole, so you can't talk. Like you're basically severing. So any form of strength, which is in like a, a, a within a friendship, right? Which, and exactly. people that go through these really hard situations, who else are they going to talk to? And now it's like, oh well, we don't want you to associate. It's just, I think it's like, are you doing speaking for, engagements for other groups? Yeah, yeah. Like I do like women's um, entrepreneurship groups. I talk in like even just like addictions. I talk in schools, um, corporate. So I talk about like resiliency in the workplace. Yeah. It's all over. It's like a whole, because sometimes I tell my story and like I help people in all these ways I never even knew. Um, so it's kind of cool to get requests to like speak at Toyota or something. Like I did one at Toyota for like these VPs. Like when you're awesome. facing like, yeah, yeah, it was cool. Congratulations. That is really impressive. It's great to see people just take the, take the, that, responsibility take an experience right that's really tough and everything you're saying about how it fragments you as a person it fragments your you know relationships it fragments us as a culture and to take it and use it to bring people together and to help people understand and to help people you know to help uplift people to do their own thing it's Mm -hmm. so inspiring how's your family doing how are they um you know what was their process like from you go to prison, you're, you know, mom, I'm, I've been arrested. <laughs> I'm in a violent jail. And then yeah. their, their journey to seeing you become a successful entrepreneur, inspiring um, people. Yeah, no, it was, I know they always believed in me, but I, I know at first they definitely just want to be to like get a regular job <laughs> coming out of prison. <laughs> um, so I did like, I got like a job at the gym, but I started to build like my, 
project, my popcorn project through the gym, through making these connections, through talking to people. So I was able to, and then once I built it and I saw that people were, were really interested in supporting the brand and it was like good popcorn. That's when I kind of went, went full speed ahead. And I like, obviously you sacrifice things. Like I don't have really a stable boyfriend or anything like that. Like, cause I'm always out building it. And it's not saying I don't want one, but it's just like, I, I care way too much about the project that I'm building. Cause it's not just for me. It's for like every single woman that has gone through any single person who's gone through the justice system and needs a second chance or any single person that has, made mistakes even in, in the corporate world, like out of emotion or like even, you know, like ignorance or something like that. So it's, it's to make people understand that we all like make decisions the same way. <laughs> so right. depending on the context, those decisions can be illegal, amoral, or, you know, decisions that are socially acceptable by society. And those tend to divide us into the people that deserve love and the people that don't. And that's just tragic because everyone does. I mean, particularly I think with this podcast and probably with your, your work you're doing and work I've you know done in prisons and Dick does outside of this is I know we see these incredible uh, turnaround stories, these incredible stories of people that you never think could be, you know, redeemed for lack of a better word, have amazing shifts and changes and I think it just really speaks to the resilience of the, the human spirit and what could happen at any time that no one is no one is garbage right no one is a lost cause right 100 percent without question I love uh, that you talked to yeah go ahead Dick I had uh, <laughs> so just you were just talking about this earlier uh basically what you do is you hire employees uh to work with you that are ex-cons yeah, or anyone that's like struggled with addiction, even. But mostly, I try to hire people that have been to, have criminal records. Yeah. Yeah, and so let's say hypothetically, I'm listening. I'm in Ontario right now, and um, I'm about to get out, or I've I've been out, and I'm I'm interested in working with you. What would be the the process in reaching out to you and, and potentially securing employment with you? So they would basically just go to the website and then send a, a note through the um, through the info section. And in which they come back. Yeah. Comebacksnacks.com. Um, yeah. Comebacksnacks.com and you're at comebacksnacks.com on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. At comebacksnacks. Yeah. And so they send a, they send an email in and say, um, I'm interested in working with you. Uh, this is my situation. Here's my information. And then you mm -hmm. respond to them. And then if it, if it works out, then. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, as long as they're done, like their parole and their conditions, then. I can talk to them and see what we have and, or I can see if there's like employers that I know. So something down the road that I want to do is like kind of similar to what Sherry Garcia does with cornbread hustle is find like, is build like an, a side agency that is specifically for people that have criminal records and for employers that are actively seeking them out because there's not enough of that in Canada. Okay, is, is that open for men and women that are ex-cons, or just is it you lean towards women more, or is there any preference? No, men are women. I have two uh, two male staff that are on my event team, and they're awesome. <laughs> How do you um, order? Can pardon? I don't know if she cut off real quick. Can let's see. It looks like she fell off. Uh, okay. It's me, you, and Alon right now. Um, let me try to get her back on here. Oh, I'm surprised that it worked that long. 
who's had any issues, honestly. Um, let me just try to get her back on the phone real quick. Uh, in the meantime, while I'm doing this, let's see here. All right. All right, is everyone there? Yep. It's weird. Meg just keeps dropping off. Meg, can you hear us? <laughs> I can hear you. Hi again. Okay. <laughs> Podcasting in the time of plague. Yeah, still work in progress. Luckily, we're all back it together. Is. All right. Thanks for thanks for coming to get me. Uh, yeah, of course. I would never leave you. Um, so, Emily, I want to know, do you... Um, does your pot does your popcorn get sent to the US now? Can people order yeah. the website to support you? Yeah, and we have really exciting news. We actually just partnered with a US popcorn partner. So for our first like kind of big launch that we're gonna do, like we partnered with a company called Gary Poppins and so we're gonna give them our recipes <laughs> and they're gonna mass produce it for us. Wow. Oh my god, congratulations. It's so exciting. So yeah, definitely stay um stay on the social like I'll let you know when all this coming out, but for now we still do our we ship out our small batch orders for sure. Awesome. So everybody go order Emily's popcorn. Yeah, shout out to Gary Poppins. That's it's a big yeah, move. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Poppins. That's fantastic. <laughs> Anything else, Emily, that you want to promote? Is there any other um organizations that you were working with that you want to give a shout out to or anything else about your business that you want folks to know about? Um, honestly, I think that's it. I mean, if people want to message me directly, like I'm pretty open to that. If people want to share their stories, I'm happy to share their stories on the platform or my personal handle, which is at ms.obrien. So yeah, if anyone just feels like they have something creative or something that they want to share, I'm happy to, to share it. So yeah. And I, awesome. I just have one last uh, one last question for Emily. Uh, in the last interview, it said you've been writing cover stories and uh, getting a lot of your writing out there. Are you still heavily engaged in writing? Yeah, I'm actually using this time right now to get back into my writing. So I started the first page of my book. <laughs> page one. That's the hardest page. Right? <laughs> Good job. What's the, what's the book going to be about? Um, It's going to be about my journey. Like, and why it happened, how it happened, and why it's important to share it. Awesome. So, like, memoir style? Yeah. Memoir with a dose of entrepreneurship. That is so exciting. I cannot wait to read it. Are you publishing any practice stuff on your blog? Do you have somewhere online that you're publishing? That's not a bad idea, actually. I'll let you know. (laughs) Do it. Yeah. Maybe a little inspiration of it couple things I want to throw down before we uh, before we end the podcast today. I know, Dick, uh, you and I have some folks that we like to support. And in this time, I really want to get as much information to the people how they can help our populations in prison as possible. Because folks in our prisons right now are on complete and total lockdown. They get no visits. They get yeah. no programming. They get no services. They can't even see their legal team. And it is yeah. absolutely abysmal for folks' uh, mental health. And like we talked about before, the mental health of the families and the children that know their parents are in there, the children get, you know, it's scary for them to not know yeah. if their parents are okay, to not be able to see and touch them. Uh, a group that I work with here is called Family Preservation Project. 
They're funded through the YWCA, so that's how folks can find them. But they're doing an amazing program right now called the Keep Hope Alive Pen Pal Project. They're trying to get 150 people that will opt in to be connected to a woman at our Coffee Creek Correctional Facility, Oregon's Oregon's Prison for Women. And um, so anyone out there, either of y'all or anyone that's listening, that might want to send three notes a week, and you're welcome to send books as well from Amazon to the one woman at Coffee Creek, uh, feel free to email me personally, Meg at SkyTav, S-K-Y-T-A-V as in Victor, as in Skyline Tavern, which is my business. Dot com. So Meg at skytav.com. Um, awesome. And I will connect you to the folks that will connect you to someone in prison so that we can keep hope alive for some of these women who are on lockdown right now. Awesome. And I know, Dick, you work with a group that is doing amazing work. Emily was talking about how we aren't allowed to talk to each other and it gets all fragmented, but there's a fantastic group here in Portland. Criminals Anonymous, Criminon, who are actually using a 12-step program to help people heal from what is actually an addiction to committing crimes, where that that hit of adrenaline, that power, that identity that people cannot get away from sometimes, this group is doing amazing, sacred work to help people get through that. Oh, yeah. And and honestly, you know, obviously these are trying times right now. Uh, All the Criminon meetings are postponed because of there's no longer gatherings allowed of more than 10 people in Oregon, but um, can I give a big shout out to Criminon? And right now um, they're struggling to get the revenue up to get their softball team together. They need some sponsorship money. Anyone that's interested in sponsoring Criminon softball, just go to Criminon.org or contact, uh, contact you know, Bear or Zane at Criminon on the website. And um, I'm sure they would really appreciate that help. Anything, every little bit counts right now at this point. Absolutely. All the love and care. And I think the big ask is even if folks are not willing or able, this isn't their thing. I think the big ask is during this time when, you know, we're being complete, all of our systems are being so powerfully affected by this tiny little virus. I think more than ever, it's time to take a look at our population and practice being able to see every single human on this planet as a fellow human being, right? We are all connected. We are only as strong as the most vulnerable among us. And it's time to share what we have. It's time to, you know, be able to see that our power depends on the collective and how much can we open our hearts? How much can we stop judgment and just offer more kindness, more love, more support? I think even we can do that from our own homes and our own hearts, that would be helpful. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, in this trying times, it's, uh, I think the one positive and the one benefit we can get out of this is just a sense of community and togetherness and really um, depending on each other and building back to just togetherness and society and going back to the everything that kind of built this society in the first place, kind of back to square one. So I think that um, the more we can look out for each other right now uh, is the best thing we can do for each other. So, 100%. I'm so grateful for you guys. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for walking the planet with us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much.
Yeah, Emily, great guest as always. Comebacksnacks.com and on social media, Instagram at Comeback Snacks. Uh, this is DJ Dick Hennessy, Meg Thibodeau signing out. Every uh, from here on out, from my living room, you can catch us every Friday at 10 a.m. at StartupRadioNetwork.com. And we're going to so do it as we'll long see. as we can, right, Dick? Uh, so the wheels fall off. I'll be right here. <laughs> <laughs> and hope to catch you guys next week. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thanks, Emily. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you can easily control how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Felony Inc. sent you and get $150 credit. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.